14 of the Board Game Gambit podcast. Wait, it's over? Today we're talking about end triggers of games, and sometimes when they sneak up on you, and sometimes when they're very thought out, but they still sneak up on you. So joining you as always is me, Nathan. And I'm Jackie, who was very confused when you went, wait, it's over? And I was like, okay, we're done. Uh, that will, will be the <laughs> easiest recording we have ever done. Edit, editing that would be incredibly fast. So yeah, how are you doing? Good, 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 good. Restrictions in Massachusetts have been letting up a little bit. So I have fortunately been meeting with friends in very, very small groups of one or two. <laughs> to play games so we um as i mentioned before we had a fell day Mm -hmm. most recently we had another game day where we played some really crunchy 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 games we played santa maria euphoria the gallerist and lorenzo the gallerist lacks dice you had almost a dice manipulation game yeah Almost, almost, almost. But we both were wanting to play the Gallerist. So my friend Brian, he owns like over 800 games. You're on on your way there. No, 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 no. I'm not even half. So there's games everywhere, everywhere in his house. (laughs) And he has like all these like Kickstarters and the deluxe versions of everything. So I'm like, oh, no, I have to play your copy of this right now. Let's play. Yeah, basically, I go onto his Board Game Geek list, and I'm like, okay, which ones do I want to learn? <laughs> and then I, I learn them up before we meet. So yeah, that was a very fun day. My brain hurt by the end, though. Yeah, I haven't played The Gallerist. In general, I feel Lacerta is probably my biggest gap in terms of my modern trending hobby games. Mm-hmm. engagement the little that i have either tried or learned the rules for has never been the kind of things that really resonate with me i tend to prefer euros that are a little more compact but they all look very nice so there is that how, how was the experience i really like the gallerist i found it it, it was long. Like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, it was so quick. But <laughs> it was long, but it didn't really feel very long. I don't know exactly how long our playthrough lasted because we played those four games over the course of the day. And those are all we played. But I feel like that that one took a bigger chunk of time than the other three, maybe even together. So I really liked it. I thought I liked the mechanisms. It had a sort of that if you kick someone out of an action, they also have the option of taking an action where you could spend some resources and you could either get a free action or you could get another main action. And it kind of felt a little weird with two because we would often forget, oh, I kicked him out. I take my turn. Then it's his turn. He can take the kick out action. And so he, he spends the resources, does another main action. Then it's his turn again because it's two players. So it felt really weird with two i think with more than two it would be even more confusing though as far as whose turn it was and trying to follow the the sequence of gameplay but i thought that the mechanisms were fun it has a little bit of area control in certain things it has end game goals it has immediate bonuses and things like that so was a lot of fun. It felt all these things together are things that I really enjoy in games. So I think that 
where it lost me a little bit was just the theme. It didn't feel like as dull as I thought it was going to be, but it was definitely very a very dry theme. I'm surprised by that because, I mean, beside the choice of the theme over another one, but one thing that I saw from Lacerta games, for example, Vinos, which I really, really didn't like, but I must say that the thematic part considering they are very involved and very deep euros tends to be very strong also i remember when you were talking about on mars how that really popped out of the game right with the i remember you telling me about the little rover and the ship that goes back and forth and from what i've heard and seen that tend to be the standard with the exception maybe of lisboa so that that's interesting that this didn't do it for you instead on that on that specific regard. I think it might just be that I didn't really care for the theme. Mm-hmm. And so sure things felt, you know, immersive or what have you, but it was like, okay, I'm immersed in being someone who sells art. <laughs> like commercialization of art is not your thing. You prefer the artist part. Yeah. Just, just per- making art and, and having art, not monetizing art, I guess. It was good. I liked the building, making the different little paintings and working towards endgame goals and things like that. So I think I would play it again. It's not one that I'm like rushing out to buy. It was one that I was considering before playing it. And then when we actually played it, because again, like I said, two is usually where I play my games is that player count. And it did not seem like something that I would regularly get to the table. It did not seem like something that Scott would play uh, ever. So... <laughs> I hear the pain in not having another another break towards the 800 plus collection. I can see like, I really want to spend money on this, but now I'm not sure I want to spend money on this. And that pains me. I can hear that in your voice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What have you played? I have revisited Blood Rage, which I do often. So that's not particularly shocking. It was like, oh, a blast from the past. But actually we had a very unusual Blood Rage game which goes to show it was, I think, my 20-something play, how variable and how deep the game is. Uh, It was with players who have all played it before many times, Ryan, Rachel, and Anna. And not only we have played it many times, but we have played it together many times. So you would expect to have some either develop strategies or group think, right? I don't know, we, we undervalue something and so it's never taken all of those things that tend to develop. And instead, it was still very intense. So, for example, I found myself with almost no monsters and no special powers, which is very rare for me. What? And instead, I had two mystics and a lot of combat cards. So I was winning a lot of the things where I was close, but obviously I couldn't win when someone had, I don't know, eight strength and they had two. And for some reason, it went so that two players at the table had an interest in triggering a lot of battles, even if they weren't winning it. One of them, because they had the points part of the lucky strategy. So for those who haven't played Blood Rage, there is a famous strategy that is based on losing a lot of battles and you steal stuff from the other player, 
and that synergizes with cards that give you points when your figures die. In this game, they split, and so there were two players that were not afraid of giving out the points that you get for winning a battle to other players, and so they were triggering a lot of battles, and so the two players, Ryan and I, who had actually gone for the actually winning battles <laughs> strategy, which is the more, little more straightforward, were constantly emerging cards and figures, and it went very weirdly. At the end, Ryan had accumulated a lot of points. Rachel got, I think, 50 points in the last round from the Loki strategy. Neither of them was able, Rachel by choice, because that was a strategy, and Ryan, because we, we thwarted his plans to get up enough on the um, on the end game scoring, basically. Again, for those who haven't played Blood Rage, you are competing for both points and increasing your availability of stuff, of points for winning, of action points, and of figures on the board. But those three categories also give you points if you maximize them. And with that, I was able to sneak uh, past them. But it was an extremely interesting game of Blood Rage. Again, I know there are people who have played it 100 times, and I don't know if... But I guess at that point, it's still like that for them, because they still find it refreshing. And it was extremely, extremely satisfying it was tense, it was swingy, but with a direction and great game. So you played it with the Mystics expansion, obviously? Yes, as you know, and that was confirmed to me last time I tried it with you again, the Gods expansion, Gods of Asgard expansion, I don't particularly like because the way the gods move around or don't move around until something is triggered makes them at the same time not necessarily relevant and when they are relevant in a way that is annoying to me so i was very glad not to play with that one speaking not about necessarily game that i've played but something that i have been following the perseverance game by Mind Clash arrived on Kickstarter. And normally we try not to get bogged down into, oh, the new Kickstarter is this and that, because that could be an entire show on itself. But Perseverance was something that I was really, really excited about because it's Euro games and dinosaurs. I mean, doesn't get much better than that. I mean, I guess if there were capybaras rather than dinosaurs, but it's up there. Uh, <laughs> and so I was very excited, although the combination of an over-reliance on plastic where wood would have been as good. And the fact that it is two episodes of a project that is comprised of four and the price tag moved me away from that. But I wanted to ask you whether you had seen that. So as you know, I do love Mind Clash games. I love, 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 love Anachrony top three games for me, honestly. It's just so good. And I also own Tricarion, which I still have yet to get to the table, and uh, Cerebria, which I have yet to get to the table, but that's for a different reason, because it's a team game, and it's, as we talked about, I think, previously, that it is very, very rule-heavy and has a very high barrier to entry as far as getting the game to the table and getting people on board with playing it. So I always think that their production value is amazing. I think that the art always looks 
really good. I think that the gameplay of the one game of theirs that I've actually gotten to the table is so solid and so well thought out. So I was really excited when I had heard about the Kickstarter. However, when I looked at how busy everything was, my mind went immediately to Tricarion and Cerebria that are on my shelf. And I was like, no, I don't like that it's not its own game. I don't like that there's episodes that you play one game or you play the other game. I don't like that, first of all, because I feel it should just be a game and then there should be like modules inside of the game or something along those lines. I don't know, for something like Pandemic Legacy, I feel like that's different where they had the season one and the season two because they're legacy games. You're destroying the board and all that. So it needed to be two separate games. However, this, from what I understand from the game, you can carry over your character between the episodes, but it just looks so, so busy. I think the idea of not going legacy, which I appreciate per se, but got them into this weird thing where you basically, yes, you can play the chronicle mode that is one after the other, but right now there are only two, so it doesn't go anywhere. And also they are meant to be very deep euros, so they probably won't be radically changed from the game that you carry over. And so, as you were saying, they went with these two parallel games where you have to choose to play one or the other. And so that's how they are marketing, right? When they talk about the price, for example, they say, yeah, but you you get two complete games. But at that point, maybe I want my games to be a little more diverse, both in theme right. and in they stress that the dice manipulation part is exactly the same is the coherent narrative, so to speak, the assembly forming. And so, yeah, that was a little bit of a letdown for me. I mean, when it comes out, I will be happy to play it, although it will never come to retail, only through their the website, but it will be available if we get to try it. I was very curious about the game that you played that then got lost in the list of things that we play, which I haven't played, but I have seen monumental oh yeah 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 it was so good so my friend brian who owns all the games also owns this game (laughs) so he was very excited to get it to the table i was very curious about it because you had told me you should look into this i think you'll like it and i was like nah 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 nah. and then (laughs) and then i played it and i was like oh jackie was right well jackie doesn't own all the games so i understand your skepticism yeah 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 (laughs) Monumental is a game where you are gathering resources and building a deck to put cards out in order to activate them in in a certain way because you get to activate a row and a column and you get the benefits from those cards and then you can move your people around the board, you can fight barbarian tiles, you can get more resources from the board that way. There's so many things to do in this game. But everything felt so streamlined. It definitely had smart choices, tough choices, very strategic. But I've never really played a big civilization game like that, except for maybe like Nations, if you consider Nations a civilization game. Very abstract. I understand what you mean. Where you're like building up your people and really just trying to get the best of everything, like expanding and making your deck better and doing all that. It was so good. It was so, so good that I immediately went and I went all in. And I just got it all because they were luckily they had redone the Kickstarter to re-release the base game because that's another game like Perseverance that is only going to be on Kickstarter. Funforge said they are not bringing this game to retail release, probably because of all of the different minis that are a part of it. So I was like, it was really, really good, really, really smart. 
And I thought the gameplay with you was very tense, very just so good. So, so, so good. So the one thing that, again, I really, really want to try, as I said, it looks very interesting in so many ways. The reviews are great. But the one thing that I was perplexed about by reading about it, and I wanted to know how you reacted to it in actually playing it, which is obviously a different and more intense experience, is in Monumental, if I understand correctly, you build your deck so when you draw cards from your deck they don't go into your hand but they go into a three by three grid and then you activate a column in a row basically five of them and that sounded a little right there i don't i didn't understand the mechanic what is the virtue of that mechanic what does it give compared to more elegant so to speak ways of choosing your actions or your cards and all of that so why did that work for you and what I mean, it's certainly original, it's different, but I felt very strange that you choose those and those go away and then you refill them. And it's like drawing a a hand and discarding a few. Yeah, so what I really liked about that is that it really let you visualize the combos to see like what was going to work and what didn't work. So sometimes you could keep a card in a certain section of your board that you knew that it would work really well with this other card. And so you could leave it in a section on the board and just kind of hope that when they come out that they'll be in the same row or column that you can activate them. Oh, so you activate something not necessarily because you want to activate that, but so that it empties the space for building the combo. So yeah, it was really, really good. And then some cards had powers that let you keep cards on your display. So even though you activated it, you could keep it there or you could activate a card from your grid that wasn't activated in the the line and column that you chose. So you could get like an extra action to kind of force those combos. So there was just a lot of really interesting choices, even just that base, the core mechanic of choosing those different cards. It was so good. I'm excited for you to play it. I look forward to playing it. I was looking at Matthew Dunstan's, the designer's page. And first, I hadn't realized that he's one of those people who has designed a lot of games and not particularly obscure either. It's just that he I never connected his name to anything. And he has a batting average of basically perfectly 50% or, or 05. I'm not a baseball person. <laughs> so he did Elysium, which I was very meh about. Pioneer Days, which I liked when I played, but I would definitely need to, to try it again. It was a TMG game, which I know it's not the moment to mention TMG to you with the Luna debacle, but... But, no, no, no. Um, it looked nice and it, <laughs> it was a fun dice game when I played it. Relic Runners, which was a great disappointment for me from Days of Wonder. I was hoping for the new Five Tribes and instead we got a mediocre ticket to ride. Monumental itself, it did Chocolate Factory, which I know had, has had some success. Pyramids, which was terrible. And Professor Evil and the City of Time, that was fine. So And, and it did Raids, which I really, really liked. Raids. And Costa Rica, which yeah. I couldn't care less about. So, again, he has basically <laughs> a one that I really, really don't care and I don't want to play ever again, and one that I really like, and uh, with the exception of Pioneer Days that I don't own, but I still would like to own it. I hope Monumental falls on the, on the right side of the spectrum, but obviously it was not a game where I could try my hand for $250, or whatever it is. Right. So, yeah, but I look forward. I didn't play anything as expansive, large and sprawling game, but I did get 
a game with a lot of visual presence to the table again, which is not concept which I did play and has a different kind of visual presence, but no, it's Cult Express, which we have talked about recently, and I had forgotten how much I like it. It's from the building of the train, you have three-dimensional pieces in cardboard, which and cardboard, I mean, it shouldn't be, it should go without saying on a, a podcast about board games, but I feel that sometimes we get so caught into cool stuff like miniatures and wood and all of that that we forget about the potentiality of cardboard. The art on the train and the way the train is a 3D assembled cardboard train. It's very cute with the expansion. You had the stagecoach. It's frantic. It's dynamic. We shoot a lot and is one of those games where, as we mentioned before, you're programming your turn, but you're only programming part of your turn. You're programming what kind of action you will do and not how you will do it. And when you resolve it, there is a lot of potential to try and remember what other people have programmed because you know that and try to interact with their goals and they try to react. So, for example, there is a, a sheriff going around the marshal and trying to catch people and that forces them to move away. So when you say that you are going to move the marshal and people realize, oh, I'm caught, therefore I have to account for the fact that I am now in a different place. But then when you resolve the marshal, if you don't actually move it to the spot, you mess up the plans and there is a lot of complaining, which gives me great, great joy. And it's it was fun. It was really fun. I hadn't played it in a while because it requires at least four players and well to be played in any decent way and so it was nice to break it out again not gonna lie i still have a little bit of a sore spot when you suggested that the house rule of me essentially dying every every game we play of this but (laughs) but i don't know like it's cute and it's charming and it's i like the programming part of it because it brings some a little bit of randomness to it because you're trying to think of what other people are are doing, but you can never really say, you know, with 100% certainty, oh, this is clearly what they're doing. So I know if I do this, my plans are going to be completely unencumbered by whatever anyone else is doing. But it's missing like one thing for me. And I don't I, I don't think it's your house rule. No, that wouldn't help for you. <laughs> um, Did you see that they made a cult super express? No, what is it? So it says that it's to be played even faster and cold express and it instead of like a 3d train it has little train tiles that are flat so it looks a little sad it looks like it's just very similar but the last car is removed and you're trying to survive on the train i guess it has player elimination but then so it's eliminating other players it sounds yeah that's what it looks like yeah and then if more than one person is alive at the end the whole train explodes and no one wins so first that's Definitely not the spirit of the original our winning cult express as they promised. I mean it could be fun. It would have been easier to simply say it's another game in the same setting because it sounds very little like the other one. Yeah, sure, you choose the cards and they have the same actions, but managing the money and managing the bullets and the movement over and in the train, beside the graphical representation, the visual 3Dness of the game, it really seemed like those are crucial elements to the gameplay as well. And so it's very strange that they say, here, since it has cards with the same action, it will have the same spirit of the other game. And also on the timeline, the timeline of Cult Express is certainly not the problem that they might have with the game from time to time. So, I mean, it looks cute, 
is not like if someone were to place it on the table, I would say, oh, what, what's this thing? Take it away from me. <laughs> Despite my general despise of, oh, this is this game in a different version, but we'll see. Yeah. All right. So I think it is time for us to get into in our in-depth game review of Macau. So this was obviously gonna happen at some point. We have mentioned multiple times how we both really, really <laughs> love Macau. It is, and it has been for a while, in contention for my absolute favorite game. And it's tricky because it's up there with another Feld. So I know that is among my favorite games, but I don't know if it's my favorite Feld, which is very, very, very strange. That only goes to show how much I, I like it. Wait, what's the other one? Aquasphere which has been growing a lot on me. Really? It has a determination factor. Uh, the, the, the little, little uh, randomness in it, which really, really intrigues me. It makes me in pain every time I play it. And that's sign of a good game, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so Macau is going to be reprinted as Amsterdam, which we talked about that before. We need to know more. They add some streamlining it seems but they don't seem to have changed the radical nature of the game which is very good because we both very like it so it's a game by stefan feld from 2009 published by rio grande games in the us it takes about an hour and a half which obviously is my favorite time length it can be particularly quicker if people know it and if you play with two players i think it scales very well with two to four and yes. as we have mentioned before, each turn goes like this. You draft cards to more than number of players. You also use a couple of dead cards to determine uh, money to points conversion. Then each player in player order chooses one card from the display. So you basically draft one of these cards. And then you roll six color dice. And each player will choose two of those, non-exclusive. So we could choose exactly the same or in overlap on one. And you get that many cubes of that color that you will get in that many turns from now. So if you get a five blue, you will get five blue cubes in five turns. So you're building combination of future turns that will be pool of cubes that you will use to pay for the cards, pay for other things on the board, including conquering neighborhoods where you get stuff to deliver and moving your boat and trying to compete for first player placement. The way it works is that at the end of the round, all of the cubes that you have accumulated go away. And so you cannot simply, now I will get the red to later pay for something else. You, If you have a card that requires red and blue cubes, you have to try and make sure that you will have blue and red cubes in the same turn. And that's basically it. You have a bunch of cards that do a bunch of stuff for you. You are constantly filling your reserve with cards that you're desperately trying to play. And at the end of the game, there are a few end game scoring. And then that's the end. And you're trying to generate gold that you use to either activate some cards or to pay for points. We both love it. But what is it that you like the most about Macau? I like that even though the cards are a little bit random as far as what comes out and what's available to you and what is possible for you to build, I feel like the randomness is mitigated by the fact that you have choices of the colors 
regardless of what anyone else picks. So you have this option to always get the colors that you need. It may not be in the space that you need, but it you always have the option of getting them and you can work towards building the correct combination to get the cards that you need built. I really like that part of it. I really like the overall just gameplay. It feels very smooth. Nothing about it really feels quonky because some games where you have combos that sort of stack on each other can feel, oh, okay, well, I'm activating this, which activates this, which and and it feels messy and muddy and you can get lost in those combos. But I feel like with Macau, the combos are so straightforward that you are... It's very clear as to what you're doing and you never feel like, oh, wait, did I activate this? Did I activate that? But I feel like it's, I don't know, it's just a very clean design. I don't care for the overall aesthetic of the game. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like it's sad. I do like the different colored dice and the different colored action cubes. The player colors are kind of meh because they're orange, yellow, white, and brown. But I get why they picked them because they wanted to be different from the colors of the dice. I actually don't mind the city part of the board and this Me neither. top view uh, with palms and things. That part I like. And the one thing that is not particularly streamlined is something that you don't do as a player, which is the determining of the tribute table. It's That's really wonky that you, you flip cards that you want to use, but you need them for the little numbers that determine that. And that's one of the things that I'm, I know for sure that they're changing in Amsterdam. They are switching to you flip a card and that's your exchange rate. But I think what I like the most is one, how well the cards seem balanced, meaning that the ones that are really, really strong are so hard to build. Not that they cost more. Usually they just cost a combination of three or four colors. And that's an interesting thing, not a a matter of quantity but of quality of resources which is not very common and the other is that spinning wheel which is the mechanism by which the game visualizes what we were saying before that if you get six black cubes you will have them in six rounds while those three red cubes you could have in three rounds and you place it around this wheel that spins and that mechanism that time reward interaction is really where where the game is at for me i find it unique i find it clever i find it a good visualization of time and i think that's a great thing that i have not seen elsewhere there are some games where you have stocks that can mature but they're usually much more convoluted and complicated this is very simple do you want a little now or a lot later it's it's a great great dynamic i think yeah I actually don't mind the way that that you draw the dead cards and then you have to add everything up. I don't mind it. I think it's almost like a like the game is teasing you because it's like here are two extra cards that you cannot have. <laughs> well, in two, in two players at least, aren't they great? Oh, and they're going into the discard. So <laughs> I think it's cool because then you're like, oh, I wish I would have had that card, and I like that feeling of oh, if this had been come out a little differently, I would have gotten that. I think it's cool. I I like that you get to see more of the cards because even in a four-player game you don't really get all the cards there's still cards that are not dealt out completely so it's not 100 percent that you're gonna get all the cards every time which is similar to like bruges and and how you don't get all those cards every time it's interesting because you're trying to build combos but the thing that might combo the best with what you have already built may not even come out it's so good i can't say enough about it i will say i'm a little wary of 
what are we calling it? Re-implement, I guess, because it's not technically a re-theme because it's a re-implement because it's the same game, but with slightly different mechanics. So so the re-implement of Amsterdam, I'm a little wary of it because some things that I've already I've already seen that bug me a little bit. It looks like the goods are different values. Oh, I didn't realize that. So they're not simply based on position, but by itself, there are some that are worth more. Right. Oh, no. Yeah, so that looks not right. <laughs> yeah, the goods seem different. There was a weird spot that looked like maybe you could sell any good there. Mm-hmm. It had like a question mark on it, but like a spot to sell stuff. And it was like a different set value. I don't know. I'm wary of that because that, as I've said before, is one of my main slash favorite strategies is getting all the goods and and delivering them in the last like two or three rounds and banking on that. So if the goods prices are different, I think it'll bring a little bit of weirdness to the game. Also, like I said, I do love the adding up the points and the coins and seeing what the coin to point ratio is, but I don't know how I feel about the cards that are going to be replacing them. That was one of my like favorite things. It's it's not a typical thing that people say, oh, I really love adding up the points and the coins and seeing how it lands. I know that that's not really like <laughs> its main attraction, but it is something that I really enjoyed of that game, so I'm I'm kind of sad to see it go. Yeah, and I must say what you were saying before, you were putting it more in terms of think, imagining a what could have been, but I never thought about when you were saying you see two cards. So even in two players where you don't use them, those two extra cards give you information. Oh, I know I cannot go for that strategy. For example, there are cards, the Baronessas, who grow in point value the more of them you have and knowing that one of them is gone will influence your attention to the other and that's that's an information point that you're right that will be probably removed um i don't know how it will work i read that there will be six cards out maybe there will be more choice with two players it seems like in general it has taken away some of the punishing factors of macau the deck will be a little more controlled so that you can rely on having people and buildings and offices at the same pace and all of that. So it seems like certainly a little more modern design, but also a little too sanitized maybe for me. Obviously, we will have to try it. It's very hard to judge without trying it. I mean, Stefan Feld worked on it. At least that's the, the official version. The problem is, did he work on it because he was involved in this project and they wanted to make and that was the driving force behind it? Or was it, oh, we're coming out with a new edition, we are revamping the graphics, do you have any changes that you want to implement? And those two things for me are very different ends of the same spectrum. I'm sitting here, oh, I'm so skeptical, and oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm worried about this. But I mean, we both know that I'm going to get it, so... <laughs> The, the interesting thing is, what are you going to do? Keep them both? That would be even weirder than Perseverance, right? Is, oh, I'm going to play this Macau or maybe this other Macau that is called Amsterdam and it's basically the same game. I think I will try it and then decide. It would need a lot, not only for these things not to be a problem, but also it would need for me a lot of improvement to make me let go of my Macau. Yeah, <sighs> that was Macau. Yeah, we can say enough good things about it, but if you haven't tried it yet, either go out and try it, or if you cannot, maybe buy Amsterdam. It cannot be bad. (laughs) 
I was like, oh, that's a pretty bold statement there. Well, it can be worse, but I don't think it will be bad. It's based on a great game. Yeah, yeah, okay, fine. I'll give it to you. Now we're getting into the theme of today, which, interestingly, Macau is part of my theme. So things that trigger the end game and my number three favorite well i guess technically it's my number one so in anticlimactic this is the best thing that i like sort of way i just love rounds i think there's something to be said about trying to do everything that you can knowing exactly when the game is going to end you can do a lot of planning you can you know when the game is going to end so you know you don't run out of time quicker than you anticipate if you didn't plan for something you know that it kind of gets down to that's your own fault. So I do like rounds the most. I think that there's something really to be said, especially because of the style of game that I enjoy the most, which is Euros. So especially in games like that, where you have to plan everything out and plan what you're going to do, you definitely want to have that sort of end in mind. Yes, absolutely. And when I was, before thinking about what games I like, I thought of the way games regularly end, right? And co-ops you and whether you win or lose. Sometimes is when someone reaches their win goal or you run out of a deck or something, but turns as this elegance of a planned time. So you have a limited time, but it is not beholden to something like, oh, we, the pool ran out or the, the deck, we went through the deck is you have 12 rounds in Macau or you have however many in other games and you know that you have to plan around that. You know how many actions you will take in some games. Macau is not like that because it's driven by cues, but you know how many dice you will select, how many cards you will have. And yeah, there is something very, very elegant. I actually have one of the games that I thought of that is based on a fixed number of rounds, but I I was interested in how that can be tweaked. And it's Ra. Ra by Rainer Nizia plays over three rounds, but the length of those rounds and the involvement of each player in those rounds is variable. Ra is um, an auction game, is one of the three famous auction games by Nizia. There is a trilogy that is Ra. Medici and Modern Art. And Ra is there with Medici for me. I like them both a lot. I might prefer Medici slightly, slighter, a little more, <laughs> but um, Anna really doesn't like it. So Ra gets played a little bit more in our circle. Each round ends when all players are done, which is quite common, or when uh, basically a doom clock <laughs> in the form of this rat track <laughs> gets full. And so that's something that you're balancing. It's a little bit of push your luck, but it's technically push your luck only when you're the last player standing. But even before that, the compression of the round, meaning that you know that this round is at least trending towards a fast end or vice versa. I know we should have time. Influences the way players play their turns a lot. Because basically being an auction game where there is a limited number of auctions, but you don't know how many there will be, if you have a weak, so you it's an auction where you pay with fixed resources. And if you have a weak resource, you may want to use that even for something that is not great because you know that the round is ending and you don't want to get stuck with nothing. But that also applies to the big payer, the one with the, the hammer, with the strong bid, because you want to use your winning bid on something juicy, but if you wait too much, that something juicy might never come. And so the pressure on that, I think, 
it's a very nice turn on the you know definitely that that's gonna be the last round so you're building towards your end game points and all of that but you need to consider that so that's my number three ra by Rhinonizia. I did categorize my favorite methods of end triggering and then picked a game that I thought was good for that. We went over my first one, which was rounds. My second one is going to be achievements. A way that a game can end is by completing a certain number of tasks first. And so the the few games that I was thinking about is Steffenfeld's Oracle of Delphi. You're traveling around and you're trying to com- complete these different achievements and whoever completes all of their achievements first wins. Uh, that's also how Euphoria is played, which I did briefly discuss. And that is a worker placement game uh, with dice, which I, I like that game. It was a little thematic in the sense that you wanted smart workers, but you didn't want them too smart because otherwise then they realized that they didn't need to be controlled by you, and then they left you. So I really thought that that was smart, and it made me smile every time I was thinking about how that was just integrated into this game. And so it was it was a fun little mechanism. Yeah, so Euphoria, also you are putting stars onto the board, and the first person to place all of their stars wins. So that is another one where it's achievement-based. And then the last one I was thinking about is achievement-based, but also is not as clear as to who wins. So that is Scythe, who is also from Stonemaier Games. And so that is, the end game is triggered by achievements, but it's not as clear as the winner of this game is whoever does the all the achievements. Oh, I see. I see the difference. So it is... The end game is the the condition, but not necessarily the winning condition. And that's that's definitely true. That's also true of Five Tribes, one of the way to finish the game is to finish your camels, which certainly helps because camels are points, but that's definitely not a guarantee of winning. I do feel that in Scythe, the winning, despite not having placed the six star, is a little less common than, say, in Fight Tribes, placing all of your camels and right. still still losing. To the point that he had to put in a rule where you're not supposed to count the coins of other players, which is a little tricky, but to avoid people going, oh, wait, can I win even if I get to the six stars? But in my, I mean, I wouldn't say limited experience with the game, but I know that their site is one of those games where people really get into it and they have, oh yeah, in my 150 games of side, that happened 35 times. No, I'm definitely not there, but I have played it quite a few times and i do find that is way more common for the person who can reach the six star to win specifically because as you were saying they are not disconnected from what you're doing those are part of the game so it's not that to get the star you're sacrificing completely something else and so for example if you have a lot of max out probably you got a lot of coins for it and you are winning battles and all of that but yeah that was one of my of my ideas of Five Tribes specifically of how players can do things to trigger the end. My number two game was Kraftwagen, which is... Oh, no, actually, well, that's my number one game for this, but I'll go through Kraftwagen. So Kraftwagen is... So when we discussed turn order, someone mentioned on... And I'm blanking on the name right now, but mentioned on our BGG comments that we left out Glenmore. And Glenmore is, like Kraftwagen 
after it. A game where the and raids as well. A game where the last player goes, basically. Whoever is behind in on the table in this going around the table, going around the board uh, position. So not position of the players, position of the pieces moves. And that was taken into Kraftwagen, which I like quite more. But in Kraftwagen, the end of the each round of the three rounds is triggered by the market being full. And that's something that you have a control on is you can, after each of your turn, you can send the card to the market. And that's another one in which pushing the end of the game can be very important. It's tricky to navigate. It might not get you the win because it's not the goal of yours, but it's another one where players have a lot of agency on the rhythm of the game, which is something that I tend to like a lot. I'm confused on whether you are... Those were your three things, so you had another one? So the first one that I did was rounds. Rounds are my favorite. Um, Then achievements is my second one, and those were just some games that came to mind when I was discussing achievements. So I think of those three, I probably like Euphoria the best. Oh, interesting. Like, you mean how it manages this or as a game? Both. Oh, Oh. Um, we have a problem here. Yeah. I don't know. Scythe is... Scythe is good. It's very good. It's very solid. It it deserves, you know, all of the hype that it gets. But at the same time, getting into it is so I don't know the be- the beginning of it is so sad. Mm-hmm. Move and make another person, or move and make this, and it's just very slow starting. And not that I want it to be at a ten where you have all your mechs out and you have all the things going on. And I feel like sometimes especially with newer players, if you mess up your first one or two turns and do something incorrect, you're at a significant disadvantage of people who have played this game over and over and know that, oh, I need to make another person so that way I can maximize my production by moving this here. And it feels a little too mechanical. Mm -hmm. Well, beside the visual experience, I do think I prefer Oracle of Delphi. I think it's very, well, it's tricky. But Euphoria for me was... An okay game. I like it the first two times I played it. I like it a lot. And then it, I did the same thing in the third game and the same thing in the fourth. And even in the course of the single game, it's definitely, I feel the opposite of sight about what you were saying that Euphoria at the beginning is, oh, I have all of these options and all of these things. And then it becomes, I do a little bit of the same and again and again. And yeah. I'm trying to get to the star. And the the theme was original. It has this. I've, I feel like everyone I talk to mentions the same card. There is that card where you can choose to let your friend go with a balloon. And then there is, I don't remember if it's the same or another card <laughs> where you're shooting at the balloon that is carrying your your person to safety. Oh, no. <laughs> but I really like the, that mechanism of breaking through. I'm done. I'm past all of these things. Even when it's a singular goal, for example, in Star Wars Rebellion, the two players have very different goals, but either of them can trigger the end game. Uh, the rebel player is trying to either wait it out. Basically, that's another thing that is unique to me. I'm sure it's in some other game, but... There is a timer that is growing, but there is also the target moves. So it's, say, you are in the sixth turn, and at the beginning, the end game trigger for Rebels is on 13. So you would theoretically have to play 13 rounds, but that will never happen because what the Rebel player is doing is completing missions that move that reputation number down. And so the time is on their favor, but they want to make 
the time meet the counter, which is very interesting. And it's made even more interesting by the fact that the other player has their own completely different victory condition. So that that's interesting. But I think the game that has the most interesting trigger of the end game for me is a game that I I played once and it was fine. So in terms of <laughs> in terms of gameplay, I want to play it again because it has some advanced rules that we didn't use. It's a game with a very good reputation. So it's Nantinarkin by Martin Wallace, which is a reimplementation of his Ankmore Pork game that was very popular in the Discord universe. They remade it with a charming Victorian England literary kind of thing. So you have Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and you have Sherlock Holmes, and you have all of that stuff all put together. But uh, the gameplay was a little dry to us, maybe because we weren't using all of the extra rules, and we want to try it again, also because it's visually very appealing. But everyone is working towards a goal. Reaching the goal finishes the game, so it's a first pass the goal you win. The goal is different for everyone because some people want to have buildings in certain controlling places, others want to control a majority of locations, someone else wants money. But on top of all of that, you don't know what's what. So actually, first, I think you would really like the at least this part of the game. Again, you might also be a little underwhelmed by the by the gameplay. At the same time, it's very simple, which could be good for a game like this. You basically have a hand of cards, play a card on your turn, and that lets you do a few things, and then it's the next player's turn. But the fact that you have first pass the goal with different goals, and you don't know what they are, but you know what they can be. It's not like there are 200 rolls, there are like seven. And so you have a sheet of, oh, maybe Nathan is going for this, and so you have to be sneaky about that. But the fact that all of a sudden, at the beginning of your round, you can go, and I have one, so we don't need to, to struggle on this again. <laughs> it's, it's fun. There is a lot of, oh, maybe he's doing that, or maybe he's being sneaky and doing that other thing, and you, which means you are trying to achieve goals that are not your goal, at least pretend that you are, but how do you pretend to? You work towards them, and so there is, there is a lot of that, and I, I think that's, that's very unique because it combines some of what we just said with secrecy and with variety. And so mm-hmm. Nantinarking takes the cake for me of the most original endgame to the point that I think it elevates a game that otherwise would be very simple. But maybe it was built to be simple to showcase that that core mechanism. So I like it. So the last one that I wanted to talk about was board conditions. So that is where something that is on the board is different from the beginning of the game. And that is a trigger of the end game. So the game that I thought of when I was thinking about this was Anachrony. So in Anachrony, devastating meteor, maybe (laughs) hits, hits the planet that you're on and it devastates the above ground area. And you can only go to these above ground areas one last time. And when someone has when they've all been used up, that triggers the end of the game. So that is something that I thought was very different and interesting because it it does have that sort of player-driven availability of manipulating when something ends. You can say, oh, I'm going to go here because then now the the turn the after this, then, you know, that's the last round and we're we're done. Or you can say, oh, you know, I don't think I have enough points yet and sort of 
avoid those areas and and push to get more turns for yourself but then you have to think if i give the other players more turns are they going to also be getting more points or are they kind of stuck where they are were they planning to be done this turn or do they have a plan for future turns so it's a lot of tension as to when when to push that and when to sort of delay it yeah and i agree that this certainly unique and different at the same time i feel like the end game is my least favorite part of an acronym and what probably prevents it from being for me as high as it is for you meaning that in an acronym i really really like everything about it from the way the buildings are very light on on theme but very specific on rules and yet they manage to be a lot of different buildings that do a lot of different things from how the time travel is implemented from how the planning on how many exoskeletons you want to use which is also a very important visual part of the game but also the mechanism is interesting how the worker placement works where you have the more expensive wild actions at the top and how the first player changes and how I like a lot about it, but where it eh, for me it's specifically in the end game, where the second to last turn is super exciting because now you have these closing spaces that give you special bonuses and it's great, it's different. It it is indeed a different experience to what was before the asteroid I checked. It's an asteroid <laughs> with the neutronium. But then the last round it feels very constrictive, very limited, and not in a good way. It is definitely original. Actually, this was one of th- those that I considered for end games that I don't like. Although the cake went to another game that I actually really like. But like Anachrony, the end moment is a little wonky, which is a much lighter game, Run, Fight, or Die. Okay. Run, Fight, or Die, if you remember, can end in one of two ways. Either everyone... No, either, either a player dies and then you count points, and that's great. It's not go to the last person standing. So it means that when someone dies, the game is over and they are not left out for a long time. Or if you have five survivors, you can trigger the end of the game at the end of your round and things like that. The problem is that there are some games where neither of them that happens because five survivors are not impossible to achieve, but they are still a task. Is not immediate. And vice versa, there are some games in which someone just dies, but some in which things go well. And so at some point you are, okay, I'll make sure that I steal one of your your survivors and the game gets longer and longer. It's not like it's going to last three hours, but it's a game that should be probably done in 40 minutes. And if it goes one hour and 20 minutes, that's a problem. So in general, I think that while I really like player influence and games when we were talking about an acronym when you were describing the game in general what kind of game you were thinking of i thought you were going with village which has the same when the board state is full when the the grave is full you're done i am worried about when that doesn't work which is not the case of an acronym an acronym has a clear time wise timeline it tends to be very stable there is a moment in which the game will end i'm not big fan of the last round but it doesn't have that problem but that's where even with village sometimes it's risky but i like out there it becomes a manageable risk of do i really want to finish this game but if that causes games to go too long 
that can be a problem. There are some games, and right now I can only think of Run, Fight, or Die, but I'm sure there are others, where the fact that something needs to happen for the game and to trigger can make the game inadvertently longer than it should be. How does it rank in how to end things to end on a down note? Like I fin- what do you mean? I finish our discussion of this, or at least my, my ideas for this with, with a down note. I should start with the things that I don't like rather than with the things that I... <laughs> I, I typically don't care for real-time games, so I don't really like the pressure of a timer. Oh, so that that's another thing. That's I guess that's an end game. That's true. That was one that I had thought about. It's not that I don't like it. The stress of it. We're living in 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 stressful times, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I I play games to relax. And sometimes the stress of the the timer gets to me, especially if we're playing something like Escape, where I'm terrible at it. I'm terrible at it, Jackie. But don't say that. I love Escape. No, I like playing it, but I could not play it as frequently as perhaps you would like to play it. Oh, yeah, I would play that. Like, in the morning, when Anna wants coffee, I want to play Escape and get get energized by that. I'm not joking. If someone were to go through the, the process of setting it up, or if I left it, set it up from the day before, that would be great. Like, you... You wake up and you groggily make your way to the table and then that timer starts and uh, the soundtrack that we use goes, Good luck! Good luck! You're gonna need it! Escape! Because a guy assembled that from the Indiana Jones movie (laughs) and you go through five minutes of it and then you lose miserably because that's what happens because I throw in way too many modules. (laughs) Um, So it's basically, how far can we make it before dying? And then you are cheerfully woken up and you're ready to go work uh yeah that works for me so that was one that is not it's not that i dislike it it's just i would never particularly pick a game for its real-time play have you seen pendulum (sighs) yeah (laughs) so actually on that i might feel a little bit like you Meaning, you know that I like real-time games, but what I like in real-time games is specifically that, sure, let's play this, it's frantic, it's quick, I don't have to to get involved too much, too deep, like, it's bears, it's escape, it's a run from the monkey in tempo run, and all of that. A euro, no matter how light it can be, and I imagine it will be lighter than other euros, that relies on real-time... I don't know. That's a different kind of stress. Yeah. Although when you were saying I play game to relax, I know a lot of people who would think or actually quite flat think and that told me that they don't find the games we play relaxing at all. (laughs) (laughs) Let's relax with this two and a half Lacerta game or uh, with this Tolkien. Oh yeah, you just have to plan for these 36 rounds, which could be a little less if someone push it, and you can only take things out at the right time. But don't worry, you need to pay for food for your workers when you have it. Oh, it's it's very relaxing. It's basically like yeah. uh, you just want hot chocolate and the blanket, and then you're ready to go. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, no, I guess I hadn't thought of that before, that our, our games do tend to be heavier and and you need to be planning things out and and 
AP can run rampant in plenty of the games that I play. Yeah, but even when we play games that are maybe more, I don't know, dynamic, like take Cult Express, which is certainly not a particularly deep euro, but for someone who's not used to use games that use games exclusively to decompress and not necessarily to divert your mind on some other challenges and things like that, that they just want to relax, even that... What do you mean? I cannot simply take my piece and move it here. No, you have to place a card that that will be resolved <laughs> later and you have to try to think of what and you don't have all the cards and each card can only be played if the condi- used if the conditions are met. Even the difference between a blood rage and a risk is what we like about it, but I can see the simplicity in a good way of a game where there is one rule, right? In Monopoly, you roll two dice and then you deal with what's there. And obviously, those not are not games that I want to play, but I do realize that our gaming endeavors is not simply about relaxation in the way more traditional games are. Sure. Uh, what we like, a lot of choice and meaningful choices at that can be stressful. And... For us, I guess, it's a very good stress. I like being stressed out. As I was saying before, a game that make my brain hurt in a good way. Yeah. But that's not true for everyone. And so when you were saying you get stressed by real-time games, which are certainly simpler games than what you play without the timer, right? Escape doesn't stress <laughs> you for the complexity of it. I can certainly understand it. It's, for example, I get... Probably lit- I like them, but I get a little more stress than I should by dexterity games. Okay. So I end up not playing them because to me they are usually painful. It is I'm terrified by ruining things and it, <laughs> I'm I'm clumsy and big and so. No, I get that. It's yeah, it's a different different kind of stress. So I wonder if anyone would like to comment what kind of games they get stressed out about it's probably all the games that we've mentioned that we like (laughs) well i think if someone is listening to this probably they share some of that of that inclination to willful stress right to looking into uh, stressing situations oh by the way speaking of stressful things i was listening to old uh, episodes and you had promised to try Solo Teotihuacan, so I will hold you to the fire next time. You have to report on the bot. I will. I will do it. I almost bought the expansion, and then I realized I don't even play it. I have played it probably three times, so probably I don't need the expansion. But You know what keeps going in my cart, and I'm like, I should just get it, is the Orleans expansion. Which one? The cooperative one or the invasion one? Or maybe it's the same and the tr- trade and intrigue. So one of the two is cop, right? I don't think it is. Which one is the cop expansion? Isn't that the fifth player box? The main thing in invasion is a cooperative scenario for two five players in which the players have to fend off an invasion and fulfill personal goals to win, designed by Inca Marcus Brand. But it has also a scenario for two players. So you might yeah. like that. But I yeah. I like ops way more than you, but I have no intention, no intention of making Olean a cop. Because yeah, no, it also has prosperity, which is a classic expansion, which includes new buildings and introduces the carpenter. Oh, and what does the carpenter do, Nathan? I have no, I have idea. no idea. Yeah. But I like Orleon. I like Orleon, so I want I want to have all the Orleon. 
okay, so you do this. You get the expansion. You try them. You <laughs> figure out which parts I like. You make me try the parts that I like. And then I decide whether I want to buy it too. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> but I think that brings us to the end of our episode. Just buying more games as we often do. But uh, <laughs> so uh, I would like to thank everyone for listening. The words of encouragement and the comments and questions that we've received on Board Game Geek are so awesome and so amazing. So thank you so much for those who have responded. And we look forward to hearing from anyone who would like to leave us a comment. Wait, it is over? Yes, that was the title of the, the, the episode. But yes, it is over. Yes, I was trying to give you some of the same experience that he provided me on the very first minute. <laughs> As always, it has been a pleasure talking to you, Nathan, and to you all who are listening. Thank you for listening. And you can find us on BGG, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. We're basically all over the internet. We are the new, uh, the new phenomenon. Or simply, I'm trying to figure out how many things are out there. <laughs> Obviously, via... Uh, Facebook messages or via to do Instagram. Um, Instagram yeah, messages are a thing. There's an Instagram. Yep, with messages. I show my true colors of not knowing what's <laughs> what. Uh, and via email at borgengambit at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Jackie and I'm Nathan. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.